0: Hello, and welcome to Keeping It Civil, a legal, regulatory, and current affairs podcast brought to you by Hassan's International Law Firm. I'm Graham Jackson, and today I'm standing in for Selwyn, who is your normal host. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm a tax partner at Hassan's, and I'm also the co-host of an international tax podcast uh, known as International Tax Bites. And today, I'm going to be talking to my podcast partner and colleague, Harriet Brown, and we will be discussing the topic of international information requests with regard to taxation, which are an increasing topic in Gibraltar because Gibraltar, as everybody will know, I'm sure, uh, has entered into some uh, international double taxation agreements in recent years. That's led to an increase. And we thought that we would just talk through what that meant for people who received them in a in a Gibraltar context. So hello, Harriet.
1: Hello, and thank you for having me to talk to you.
0: So if you don't know, Harriet is a, a, an English barrister. She specialises in matters like this, and she is with Old Square Tax Chambers in London and works very closely with Hassan's on quite a few different topics nowadays.
1: Yes, thank, thank you very much.
0: So, Harriet. Do you want to just talk us through what what it is that we're talking about today? These are the requests that come from the tax authorities. How do they start? Where do they come from?
1: Okay, so information requests are, or the possibility of information requests have been kicking around for quite a long time in international tax. There are generally two ways that they arise. One is via a double taxation agreement, where there is usually a provision for administrative assistance, which will exche- include exchange of information. And the other is under what's referred to as a tax information exchange agreement, which is a bilateral agreement just about exchanging information. Now, the process for each of those is going to be pretty similar. But in Gibraltar, I think you've recently seen an increase in these because um I think you are probably getting quite a lot of them from HMRC because you now have a double tax agreement with the UK, which has this administrative assistance provision in it, which means that HMRC can write to your your um, income tax commissioner and tell, uh, well, tell him ask very kindly if he would please provide uh, information about taxpayers, entities, things like that.
0: Right. Okay. So these the tax information exchange agreements, which you just which you mentioned. Uh, are what people will have heard of as tiers, which tears, tears—that's right. Was yeah, was about in the early 2000s uh, with all the uh, OECD lists that that were. That
1: and were a few, few pre- years back, I wrote a very amusing article called "It Will All End in Tears."
0: Okay. So okay, so that's probably available still on the internet if you look for it. But people will know what a tear is because they will have heard this phrase. Now there was a bit of a flurry of activity when the tears first came in. Um, and then that sort of dropped off. I know in my career, I I used to see uh, information requests going to people like our telecoms provider, Jibtel, uh, to get to get data on people's uh, presence in Gibraltar. So, but the they're not they're not just about an an international agreement, are they? The commissioner has powers to gather information because I mean, you know, you know, HMRC can send him requests all they want, but if he doesn't have the power to go and get the data, then he can't provide it to hmrc so
1: precisely so what you have is an international framework the dta which then has to be given some effect in domestic law and where you find that in gibraltar is in the income tax act 2010 uh section 6a
0: section 6a so he's got an it's it's very wide power right he can just ask anybody anything
1: it is a very wide power, but as I often find myself saying about wide powers, just because they are wide does not mean that they are uh, un- unconstrained. I'm not sure that's the word, but they they all all statutory powers have limits. So why don't we have a quick look at the section um, and, and the, what it so? it's entitled information powers, international obligations under exchange of information agreements. Um, and it says the commissioner may by notice in writing require a person to deliver to him information relevant to the compliance of any obligation imposed on or accepted by the government under any agreement for the exchange of information or the assistance for the recovery of tax with another country etc. Um, Now that is couched in very wide terms but there's a degree of protection both in tiers and in DTAs and So, there are some procedural requirements which act as protection. However, more importantly, uh, there is a concept of foreseeable relevance. And in order for the commissioners to be able to require somebody to provide that information, it has to be foreseeably relevant to somebody's tax position. So, So
0: before we we get too deep into foreseeably relevant, which is a topic that we've talked about before in our own podcast. Um, and if people want to go back and look through international tax bites, they can find an hour of us talking about those two words, right? Um, the uh, Anybody can receive one of these. Anybody who has information which might be relevant can receive one of these. It can be an individual. It can be a trust and company manager. It can be a bank. It can be a telecoms provider. It can be the police force. It can be anybody, right?
1: Yes, precisely. Yeah.
0: So, um, I mean, it would never happen, but they could write to your mother and say, where does your son live?
1: I wouldn't be so sure that it wouldn't happen, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so there are there are a few exceptions. So you're not required, generally speaking, to provide information that's subject to legal professional privilege. Okay. So communications with lawyers, basically. Um, you're not required to provide information which, if you were to provide it, would disclose a trade secret. Right. Um, I've never seen that one in practice. Have you? No. And and um, I think there's also a national, possibly a national security one. So there are other restrictions, but they don't come up much. The most common one is um, legal professional privilege. So while your commissioner could write to lawyers, he probably wouldn't get much change out of them. No.
0: He's most likely to write in that scenario where we're talking about clients. He would most likely write to the accountant, to the trust and company service provider, the people that aren't covered by legal privilege because.
1: Yes, but also the people who you'd think would be more likely to have the relevant information.
0: Yeah. So uh, when I was making my notes for this, I wrote down into four categories that I thought may see these. Mm -hmm. Individuals um, that just have data, yeah, because of the dealings that they have with people. Trust and company service providers on a wide basis tell us, about these categories of clients that you've got.
1: Yes, and that's that's very important. So just because you've brought it up, I'll be very brief, I promise. Um, foreseeable relevance. It doesn't have to be foreseeably relevant to a particular taxpayer. It could be foreseeably relevant to a group of taxpayers. And, long as you, and as long as you can define them such that the information can be provided, provided there was foreseeable relevance, that would be enough. So yeah. you might get, as Graham's mentioned, um, TCSPs getting... Uh, a very broad request that will say something like, um, "Tell us about everybody who you have established a company in Gibraltar for, or something
0: like that." Yeah, um, TCSPs on a customer by customer sp- or client by client specific basis. Tell Absolutely. me everything about Harriet Brown. Tell me everything about Graham Jackson. Um, and then I had I, I sort of thought about the other one. The, the, the only other one that I've really seen, um, obviously banks. So that's that's the fourth one. Um, but the only other one that I've actually seen, uh, it would be a telecoms company, right? Okay. Um, tell us. What that's a, that's a good
1: way to track somebody's, uh, oh, well, potentially a good way to track somebody's presence in a in a jurisdiction or not.
0: Yeah. So they're the sort of people that we would expect to see. So it's you know it affects quite a lot of uh, different players in Gibraltar.
1: It does, and it, it could affect more widely. But yeah, those are the ones that we we don't. See anticipate saying i don't think i've ever seen an accountant but i don't know why they wouldn't go after accountants because that's probably a pretty good idea
0: Hmm. we don't have to give them any tips they know their own (laughs) tools they
1: know what they're doing (laughs) yeah
0: um so the most of those uh target audience if for want of a better phrase would have a team that would deal with this individuals if you get one of these you should immediately go to somebody who's a competent advisor and ask them what you should do in fact to be honest the advice is very similar to uh to anybody else this is not something that should just be dealt with you know just automatically hand everything over right because we've got client facing restrictions as well haven't we in gdpr
1: yes so there's this tension between the domestic law provisions on protection of people's information and these international provisions, which is sort of pulled in via Section 6A into domestic law, but are at odds with that, um, with those domestic uh, information protection provisions. So you do need to think carefully because you don't want to get yourself in a position where uh, you've got a foreign revenue authority who's delighted but you've breached uh, an obligation that you have elsewhere to to um hold people's data in a certain way.
0: Yeah, and that's why you should be taking advice and you should be conscious of this concept of foreseeable relevance, which I know I stopped you but let's go back to. Um because this is the main protection is it not for the for the taxpayer for the recipient of the letter for for the non-authority figure.
1: Exactly. Yes. Well, theoretically the, the authority, say so the commissioner, the commissioner's staff, should look at whether or not it's foreseeably relevant and make a judgment call on that. But obviously we we can't control whether or not that happens. So, But, they,
0: but they not have a doctrine that they can rely on what the other authorities say? Not um, they, to... they
1: can rely on what the other authorities say. They're not required to go and check that it's all correct, but... I think what they do have a duty to do is to look at um look at the request so the way it works is tax authority A will send a request to the tax authority in Gibraltar and the commissioner will, will what I say the commissioner needs to do is look at that and he can assume that everything on the face of it is correct he's not required to sort of go and dig into it but if everything on the face of it is correct is, there, is the threshold of foreseeable relevance met
0: right okay so he's not he doesn't have to become private investigator but,
1: but you he just have to think
0: he does have to hang together when he gets it before he passes it yes
1: through. yes my 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 view is that he shouldn't pass on a request that is clearly devoid of foreseeable
0: relevance right okay which of course the income, uh, the income tax commissioner of Gibraltar wouldn't do
1: i'm sure that's right
0: um so he, Anyway, but a process has to be undergone. They're not just a letterbox, right?
1: No, they should. No, they shouldn't be. That's absolutely right.
0: Right. Okay. And then, and then, does the recipient of the letter have the right to then review it and say, "Well, actually, I think you've got this wrong. I'm not giving it to you," or is he bound to give it once once it's required?
1: Well. That's an interesting question. And a lot of people do feel themselves to be bound once they've had that letter. And the letters can be quite scary. You've got a short time period in which to deal with it. Um, Section 6A specifies that you have to respond with the information within 30 days. Now, the commissioner can extend that, um, but you would need a good reason to go back and say, look, we can't do this in 30 days. Please extend it. But the first thing that somebody should do when they get one of these letters is look at it and make a judgment themselves as to whether or not it meets the procedural requirements and that might be quite difficult because what you won't see is the request from the outside jurisdiction to the gibraltar commissioner so that may be difficult to do but you know one should look to see if it looks okay and then turn to foreseeable relevance and i think foreseeable relevance is particularly tricky where you've got group requests those requests we talked about earlier where it might be everybody who you established a company for um and the essence of foreseeable relevance is not a very high bar so um <laughs> requests don't have to be particularly focused for there to be foreseeable relevance what it means is essentially that it might tell you something about a person's tax position so it's a pretty low bar um, it doesn't have to be determinative of their tax position it can just be information which once provided, will show that there is no liability. Things like that. It's it, it's it's a broad and generous to the tax authority standard.
0: Right. Okay. Of course, it's generous to the tax authority. Um,
1: to be fair, in some of the judgments on that, there's there's quite a lot of sort of discussion as to why that needs to be the case, and quite a lot of that does make sense.
0: Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because they because if it's not broad, they can't work out the narrow bit that they need. I guess.
1: I I think what they're saying is, well, look, you can't you, you can't have a fishing expedition. That's very important. It can't just be random It's sort of like, can we scoop up some people? Hopefully.
0: Can we ever get um, orange hair or whatever?
1: Yeah. That that that's just a fishing expedition. It's silly. Um but you don't often you won't know exactly what you're looking for. And so if you set if you set the limits too narrowly, then actually it's going to be without any teeth
0: right okay but it's important to remember for those that get the letter that they do have the power to ask these questions
1: they absolutely do
0: do have to respond to them um but you can test them precisely so that's the position that the recipient should be in should certainly and i'm, I'm not you know we, we we could talk for a long time about this uh, but the the idea is to give a, a sort of like a uh, a practical uh, synopsis of, of of what the situation is but people should take these seriously when they receive them they should take advice for the TCSPs in the audience um, trust and company service providers in the audience that are, are immediately kicking into their terror about tipping off um, which everybody always has this is not a tipping off question is it because this is in fact the letters sometimes say there's no objection to the taxpayer being told, right?
1: Yes. So you the, the letter should, t- should absolutely tell you if you are not permitted to tell the taxpayer. Helpfully, quite often in, in Gibraltar, you do say, or or the, the commissioner does say, you can tell them we don't mind. Um, if it doesn't say, you probably want to check just to be on the safe side. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, in most cases there's no problem with speaking to the taxpayer.
0: Okay, because there's no, there's no hint that this necessarily leads to a criminal position, is there?
1: Uh, a... Precisely. So this there's any number of reasons why you might want to sort of dig into... What, what, why a tax authority might want to dig into a person's position they might think that they're maybe using aggressive tax avoidance which is not criminal they might think that they're engaging in evasion which is criminal or they might just think maybe they've got it wrong yeah you know negligent or not even negligent just innocent
0: error as our regular listeners will know the statutory residence test is a very complicated thing and you can just get it wrong you can be in the wrong country for too long and that would trigger tax.
1: exactly and so this isn't sort of a, a an indicator of criminality in any way shape or form
0: no but it is something that you need to deal with um and just to do the little selling bit Hassan's are available to assist in this um and if it's there are serious cross-border issues that affect other jurisdictions then Harriet may very well work with us on it um but it's a serious thing these are a reality they've been coming into the jurisdiction for about 25 years now um, through the tiers and much more. Now, recently, through the uh, UK DTA, I've got some figures. Um,
1: oh, we always like a good figure.
0: We do like a figure, don't we? So I got hold of the uh, the UK's um, data on uh, outward outward bound uh, informa- information international information requests, and to the to date to the date of the chart, they'd issued two hundred and ninety eight in. Um, 2023 and i've seen in the high teens coming into jib so that seems like a very high ratio considering how small gibraltar is compared to the uk and how many different jurisdictions they've got dtas with when i've asked this question i've been told it's most likely to be that now the dta is in they're working through the backlog
1: yeah, I mean, maybe it's Gibraltar this year, and it'll be Guernsey next year. Who knows?
0: Yeah, they they work through things in batches, don't they? They don't just, as they come up, send one out, right? So
1: they may do that as well. But no, my impression is that it's sort of we're looking at this particular aspect or this particular place. So yeah.
0: So it's nothing to indicate that we're we're in any way um, subject to extra scrutiny, but it's okay. it, but it is a sign that they are sending them to Jib. Um, that they are real, it's an indication that they're coming out of the the other end of the tax office, so they are being processed, and we are seeing this more more commonly. There are penalties, I think, aren't there, Harriet, for non-compliance?
1: There are indeed penalties. Uh, it's slightly complicated, so we're probably not going to go into that, but it it starts from something like a five hundred pound fine but could potentially go all the way up to imprisonment obviously that would be a very unusual case but the thing to remember is even if you think well 500 quid that's not that much say you're a tcsp and you've had five requests for information in relation to 500 different people potentially that's 500 pounds per
0: yeah so if you individual... get a group request like tell me everything about people who sh- who take a size nine shoe i know that wouldn't be foreseeably relevant. But yes yeah um then and and you've got five hundred of those. Then it's five hundred pound for each one.
1: It could well be, yes, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. you you want to take it seriously, even if you're in that category where the maximum fine is five hundred.
0: Yeah, and you know, obviously, um, a TCSP, a pensions provider, a bank, are a licensed entity, they they have to continue to comply with the obligations under the law. That is a basic premise of their license. Um, Precisely so these things ha- may have ramifications outside a simple fine or uh, or or something else like that so
1: oh i mean it could it could end a business
0: yeah it's something else to be taken something that should be taken seriously um please take advice and i think that um that just about covers the ground from a practical perspective in Gibraltar doesn't it Harriet?
1: i hope so um but the important thing is if you're in this situation and you feel it hasn't covered the ground. You should always take specific advice because this isn't advice, but take advice. <laughs> Better safe than sorry.
0: Yes. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, um, please follow Keeping It Civil on Spotify for more episodes. If you like uh, what Harry and I have got to say, then you can listen to us on International Tax Bites, which is available on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, all the usual um, platforms. I think keeping it civil is as well um, so someone will tell me off if I've got that wrong for more information um, there are some specific episodes for international tax bites there's one that covers foreseeable relevance and hopefully in the next 24 hours we'll be recording one more specifically about the practicalities of how to respond uh, from an international perspective rather than simply Gibraltar so hopefully I'll be hosting more more episodes in the future especially around the tax space. And Harriet, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me on your on your Hassan's podcast. It's been a pleasure.
0: Obviously, a quick disclaimer, disclaimer because we have been talking very specifically about the law today. This is not legal advice. You should be taking legal advice from a fully qualified and competent advisor. Um, this is on just,
1: your specific circumstances. On
0: your specific circumstances, rather than generically like we've talked about it. And uh, this is just a conversation between two people talking about tax. To get my phrasing thank you very much for listening